When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. The Rugby World Cup from The Times with Mark Suster. We'll be with you every week with the latest from the tournament, looking at the prospects for the home nations and the other big guns, of course, and reviewing all the action on and off the field. Find it at thetimes.co.uk or in iTunes. Welcome to the Game Podcast, the Ding Dong Derby of Football Podcast. Today I'm joined by Ollie Kay, Tony Evans, and Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll be asking what's next for Carlos Tevez, but let's crack on with all our local rivalries. And let's start in North London. Spurs defeat Arsenal 2-1. Um, big deal, certainly feels like a big deal here in London, feels like a, um, like a big derby. I, I'm just wondering, is, is there a broader message here? And, and I want to start with you, Ollie. Um, because, you know, you write about the, the disparities behind those teams, real or, or, or perceived, perceived. Are Spurs actually ahead of Arsenal? Well, I mean, how, how many points behind them did they finish last season? And uh, I mean, it can't have been many. I haven't got the table in front of me, but it, it wasn't much in the end. Um, you look at the summer and Arsenal look weaker and Spurs ultimately strengthened and you think, well, look at the way they've both started. Spurs, you know, they both started poorly in August, but Spurs have bounced back with four wins in a row and, and look solid and look positive and dynamic. And, and Arsenal... I mean, you know, there was once a huge, huge gap between them, even as recently as two or three years ago, and it just isn't there now. Well, uh, Dicko, if I was to play devil's advocate uh, with what uh, Ollie just said, I could point out that everybody's injured for Arsenal right now, whereas Spurs, with the exception of uh, of Dawson, this is pretty much it. And that, yeah, over the 90 minutes, Spurs won 2-1 because they scored a goal after Raphael van der Vaart handled the ball. And then Kyle Walker hits uh, a belter, which could go anywhere, and Chesney uh, misjudges that. Is that the worldview through Arsenal-tinted glasses? 
Well, I mean, Arsenal are not as bad as their league place suggests. They're not as bad as their form suggests. They're not as bad as everything suggests. But, you know, uh, even when they have their players back, you're putting an awful lot of strain on um, Jack Wilshire. Um, you know, he, re- he will return with just this colossal burden. Um, you know, and we don't even know when that's going to be yet. Um, and, you know, they've got a couple of defenders to come back, but then uh, they've lost Sanya. The trouble is that you just, you know, even, even with their strongest team, you can still see issues issues of leadership um, issues of um, age profile in the team um, issues of did they actually sign the right players you know in, in at the end of that transfer window when they appear to be scrambling you know rather rather unconvincingly and, and un- uncharacteristically so look you know they're better than this you know but um, they, they've, 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 they've dug a deep hole for themselves and it's, it's taking uh, it's going to take a while to get out of it I've got to say I look at them and I think they're in a real mess and um, they're a lot of good players you know you can't deny that but you know and they've got injuries but you looked at them yesterday and while they played well in spells they were still all over the place you know they bought badly during the summer you know, it's, uh, you, you you buy a big German defender, and they've bought the worst one they could have by the looks of it. You know, um, I, using Arteta as the deep line midfielder yesterday. What was that all about? Um, you know, the the, the seems to the, the sense of purpose seems to be lost as, a, as Arsenal. You know, they they don't seem to be going in any sort of direction. And uh, while I don't think Tottenham particularly strengthened during the summer, um, they've not gone backwards. Arsenal is sliding backwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, because they tactically yesterday, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, defending Arsenal have made the point that they did a man in midfield and, and for long periods outplayed the midfield. But then you can twist it the other way and say that Redknapp was willing to play the two strikers and risk that because he knows that the defence is, vul- you know, Arsenal's defence is so vulnerable, you can actually take that risk against them. And that's the trouble for Arsenal. People know with that defensive weakness that you can actually take a risk uh, again about being outpassed by them because you're going you're gonna to outscore them and and that's a real difficult situation for Wenger to be in when when teams can actually just say you know hey we you know we're just going to go at you because we think you're going to crack six or seven years ago they passed with the purpose they were going forward you know and they they'd use the ball they get up to the opposition penalty area and they'd score now it seems to be around the midfield and too often they're giving the ball away in those areas where people hurt them yeah on that point actually Tony I, I thought Theo Walcott was absolutely atrocious yesterday um, and I, I'm, I've come around to the idea that this guy's not, not going to improve, and he's not a good fit for the way Wenger plays. And maybe Wenger leaves under different managers. Maybe you know, maybe Walcott can do well. Um, am I being exceedingly hard on Theo? I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think he's ever. I mean, clearly he's got something. He's got his pace. Yeah, um, if, if Abu Dhabi were fit, or, mm-hmm. or, or any old schlub like that, when you play him. Instead, Abu Dhabi, by the way, who the world seems to have forgotten, but I thought mm. actually has some skills. Will Theo. you play those guys ahead of ahead of Walker? Well, what does well, this I guy would. do? I would. Well, it's, it's, Theo, Theo's you know potentially an excellent player for for Arsenal. And it does fit their pattern. I think it simply comes down to an issue of confidence. how does he fit the pattern if he's not aware of the people around him and he makes the well, wrong runs at the I wrong time. Think, I don't. I don't think that's his issue. I think his issue and and has always been the case with Theo is is a matter of assertiveness. I don't think he's he's. I, I, I don't judge him yesterday on whether he makes makes the right runs or not. I was I was looking at him and and just 
sighing because he'd, he'd, he'd gone back into a shell. And I, I'd, I've always you know, thought with him that it's, it, it is 90% an issue, you know, whether he plays well or not, whether he's under the form or not, is of assertiveness. And, and you know, when he, when he loses it and when he lacks it, you, you see him, as with yesterday, drift through a game anonymously. Uh, and what the, the mystery of when he gets it and when he doesn't um, is all in his head, I'm afraid. Well, yeah, when he starts thinking, this game goes out the window. Uh, I would say that I mean I mean he doesn't really fit into, into Arsenal's style at all except when you look at him as the outlet the guy that gives them something that they don't otherwise have the pace the directness the, the, the penetrative um, runs in that respect he's ideal for them but you know w- w- when he's talking about wanting to be a striker <laughs> saying I'm not a winger I, I want to play through the middle you're certainly not going to play him as the lone striker are you going to go to four four two just so that you can um Accommodate Walcott up front. I don't think so. Look at Arsenal's players, and also if you look at if you look at the type of player he is, he's just not suited to being a striker. I don't think. Certainly not in a team that relies as much on sort of clever, intelligent build-up play and thought and movement as, as Arsenal do. I, I think he needs to realise his best chance of making it at the top level is as a winger, and he needs to sort of re-educate himself in in what being a top-class winger is. And, and assertiveness would certainly help as well. But I, I think there's elements of decision making and, and intelligence that, that he lacks and basically he needs to be taught how to cross the ball um, I want to get your sense on this this version of um, of four four two that that Redknapp played. Um, it's the kind of thing that some of us, and I'll hold my hand up, um, thought, all right, you know, this is just too imbalanced. Uh, Van der Vaart, uh, Modric, and um, uh, and, and, and Bale plus the two strikers, one of the two being Defoe. You know, you 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 can get completely overrun, but I think as uh, somebody made the point earlier, uh, it did work. Is this something that he can build on this formation, or is it or is it unrealistic? Especially, you know, will it be unrealistic when King gets hurt again? I, I mean, I thought it, it he sort of got away with it because because you know, say it was it was a the sort of calculated risk. I mean, there's, you know, clearly in the second half when they were being particularly when the first twenty minutes second half being overrun, and 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 Redknapp said afterwards that's when he he had to take. Van der Vaart was was to blame for for Arsenal's equaliser because he just let Song go com- completely round the back without even bothering to stick in a tackle. Um, that's obviously the, the downside of, pl- of playing that team. Um, so it, it, it's not a team you play in every game. It's a team that that can be overrun, and Arsenal did threaten to do that for 20 minutes, and that's why he brought on Sandro uh, and stiffened it up. And, and the, I guess the great thing for Spurs fans is that they have the option to do both. That's you know they got Sandro who's uh, really you know coming. On as a, as a very promising player, so you know he can um, he can be attacking or or, or, or less so um, to, to, to to fit the fit the game in the opposition. Like all good derbies, there was controversy and off the pitch stuff. I, I want to start with you, Ollie, because you've written recently about some of the. Uh, some of the ugly songs um, and, and, and tasteless uh, abuse that gets thrown up sometimes, whether it's Hillsborough or Munich. Um, here, a big deal was made of uh, of some Arsenal fans singing Adebayor, a song about how he should have been the one who was shot in Angola. Uh, somebody pointed out that that prompted uh, um, the usual song about Arsene Wenger uh, from, from the other end. Is this comparable to the Hillsborough-Munich stuff in the sense that it's directed at a single person I mean I'm not asking you to make a a, a value judgment about oh one's better one's worse but um, was it was it that noticeable 
Oh, well, it was, it was certainly noticeable. I mean, when it was, it was, you know, very audible from um, from wherever you were in the ground. I should think certainly from um, from where we were in the press box, which is probably about sixty, seventy yards away from the um, from the Arsenal fans. I mean, it's um, yeah. I don't think we should get into the sort of making value judgments, as you say, on what's worse. I think it's all part of the same uh, culture of. Um, you know, how low how low can we go in order to uh, antagonise the opposition? And uh, you know, I'm sure people will make a defence of that, saying, "Well, it, it's only banter in the course of a um, in the course of a, a, a football match, and the tribalism of that." But I mean, what, to, to trivialise what Adebayor and, and his, uh, his Togo teammates went through in, in Angola that day, and to, to mock it, I, I think is um, is as low as anything, and, and it's. Um, it's well. It, I'm not a fan of that, as you well know. Tony, maybe you can give us some insight. Who, who sits in a pub and, right. the, and sort of why works can out Tony give you the invite? The, <laughs> <laughs> why is Tony better qualified than you? No, I mean, because so, I think because you know I did it at Cambridge United, and um, that was about seven of us singing. I want to know how, <laughs> how, how, how you get, how you get a chance like this to, to spread around the entire cop end. I it, it's strange because they just happen, don't they? You know, it's um, it, uh, who sits and comes up with them. I'll never know. I mean, maybe there's you know the, the evil genius songwriting agency where um, you know they come up with these. I, I, you know, it's 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 just they spread, and you know the thing is. I mean, I think many of us have done it when we were young and stupid, you know, and, and you kind of, you know, I, I'm almost willing to let it go. But when you see fully grown middle aged men doing it, you think, you know, you know, you just think to yourself, you know, football is, leads people to be deranged and, you know, they need, frankly, middle aged women, women's even worse. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, so. Um, speaking of uh, uh, deranged, um, I judge from the reaction in the Twitter sphere that uh, Clive Allen reacted like a a man deranged when uh, Arsene Wenger didn't sh- shake his hand at the final whistle. Now, for those who don't know who Clive Allen is, and um, I'm suggesting that perhaps Arsene Wenger might not know since he blanked him, uh, Clive Allen is an assistant coach at Spurs and a former Tottenham striker. Who, Clive uh, Allen played in France, of course. I'm sorry? Clive Allen played in, fr- in France when, uh, when Wenger was at Monaco, so he will, he will know him well. Yes, I'm, I'm sure um, Arsene Wenger knew all 450-odd uh, uh, players in the league and back then on an intimate basis. But, um, well, the, Clive Allen was an internationally renowned goal star. Right, enough, enough with the Clive Allen, please. Like, this, this is all for the benefit of you guys sucking up to Chris, the producer here, who's a notorious uh, Tottenham fan. But my point here is, obviously, Arsene Wenger knows who the guy is. Clive Allen goes up to him, shakes his hand. I, I thought um, Wenger's defense, I want to come to you, Dicko, because uh, you wrote about this, it w- was interesting. He said, "How many? How many of these freaking Spurs guys do? How many hands do I need to shake? You know, uh, all you know. I shook Redknapp's hand. I shook Kevin Bond's hand. Now this guy comes up. He wants to shake my hand too. Um, does Wenger have a point uh, that you know? Yeah, it's great the handshaking tradition and whatever else, but." You know, I'd love to know what did this happen in previous derbies, or it was was Clive Allen? Do you think it was Clive Allen the kind of guy who 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 would want to rub it in that way? 
Well, if, I mean, if we're going to, uh, on the actual issue of how many hands you should shake, I mean, if we've got, if we're daft enough to have, a, you know, to have rules about whether you can take your shirt off to celebrate, then maybe, maybe we're, we're, we should start having a rule about how many hands should be shaken as well. But uh, I, I think, I mean, ultimately, it looked like Clive Allen was after a headline. He, he was a man chasing after Wenger and chasing after a fight and a story. Um, he acted like a bit of a pillock, to be honest. Now, you know, Wenger can be the most peevish man on earth, particularly when he's lost, and particularly when he's lost. Um, uh, uh, yeah, his local rivals and is, is is in the in the mess he's in. But uh, Clive Allen was was just acting like a bit of a prat, to be honest. And um, uh, I think that's pretty universally shared among uh, my colleagues in in the in the press box. Anybody want to stick up for Clive Allen, except for you, Chris? No, I, I think the point Dicko made in his in his piece where he said, um, uh, can, I, "Can I quote? Can I quote you, Dicko?" Is, is that? Oh, um, is, yeah, it, he, said, he said that we were left with the sides of this great man of football, that's Wenger, being wound up by someone as irrelevant to him as Redknapp's assistant, assistant, assistant. Which, um, <laughs> I think sums up for me. Moving on to Goodison for what was once described as the friendly derby. Um, Liverpool coming out top again this this was a game that was obviously radically changed in the, in the 23rd minute um, I, I thought early on uh, you, you had all the ingredients that I know it seems like a stereotype but that you expect and people flying into tackles and two teams very committed and so on then in the 23rd minute um, it happens I'm going to start with you Tony for um, for obvious reasons you probably have a greater emotional investment here than anybody else but Jack Rodwell goes in on Luis Suarez, Martin Atkinson standing right there. Um, we can get this out of the way. I, this was Martin Atkinson made an honest mistake there, right? Well, you know, it's I, I wouldn't have sent him off. But let's get it in perspective here. Right. In the modern game, in the old days, you used to be able to win the ball, go through a man and get away with it. Anyway, I got the ball first. It was the catch-all, you know. It, 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 it excused any crime the fact is Rodwell made a stupid challenge he dived in the, the earthway line thinking I'll get the ball I'll give him a whack it's you know it's right by the centre circle won't be an issue and what he did is he gave he gave the referee the chance to make a mistake you know what if I would have been David Moyes I would have been as mad at the player as I would have been at the referee stupid unnecessary and it did change the game any dissent from the masses here? um I, I would agree with Tony on, on the thing about the rules having changed and, and the fact that get, getting the ball is, is is no longer you know it's no longer a relevant argument if you follow through and get the man. But it just was not a red card challenge. It, it, I mean, you can, we can say that he, he gave uh, Atkinson the opportunity, but it was um, an opportunity that 99 refs out of 100 wouldn't have taken. 99 times out of 100 it's, I mean, you just never ever see sendings off and things well, like that no, and, you, the, the, and then you see the challenges from uh, Fellaini um, Cahill Hibbert Hibbert later in the game and they were all worse challenges in, in a way but I, I think he, he made a, a big rod for his own back and, and, and didn't know what to do with it and it's, it's it was a bizarre decision I mean the, the, the getting the ball issue is spurious in a way but but it just was not a red card Presumably, it's interesting to see Kenny Douglas, who's been railing against obviously refereeing decisions and saying what a terrible time they have, suddenly saying, "Well, it's the rules are the rules, and you've got to go along with it." So, um, and, and odd, he also odd, said odd, he didn't see it. <laughs> All right, that's enough criticism of Douglas for the year on this program, please, no more. Um, but I, I want to get back because I mean. Sometimes we're critical of referees. I, I think the guy made a mistake. Um, you know, it happens. Strikers miss open goals. But what concerns me 
a little bit is how a decision and what I thought was interesting, a decision like that can affect the flow of the rest of the game because almost immediately afterwards, um, Cahill went in on somebody. In fact, I, I think he basically just assaulted uh, a Liverpool player. I, I, I forget which one. And, and he got away with it. And to me, the mentality is very simple. Kale's thinking, oh, look, he just sent Rodwell off. Well, surely he's not going to send me off. So I'm just going to karate kick uh, whichever Liverpool defender it was in the throat. And, and it kind of sets a tone for this. And then I almost thought like Liverpool are going on eggshells because they're thinking like, ooh, you know, did would Atkinson have seen it at halftime with one of his assistants had told him, you know, is he going to even things out? And to his credit, Atkinson didn't. And I think it's difficult for a referee, but I think you have to have the guts that if you made a mistake and people tell you you made a mistake and you know you made a mistake, well, you know, you can't go back and, and even things out. But I, I don't want to use the word spoil the game for obvious reasons, but it, it did seem like it was a completely different um, match after the red card, wasn't it, Tony? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, in my view, the responsibility of referees, one of the responsibilities uh, should be to keep the 11 aside as much as they can. So, yeah, it did spoil the game, it changed the game. I mean, as it happens, it was a, it was a pretty diet game, you know, as, as derbies often are. And See, I, thought, I would have sent off Cahill and allowed Rodwell back on if the rules allowed that. Well, yeah, I'd send off Cahill every time he plays. Because he's that sort of player. Is he the new Dennis Wise in your mind? Oh, he's even worse than Dennis Wise. He's the Australian Dennis Wise. How bad star? There you go. Dicko, the, uh, uh, the, the really good news for Liverpool, apart from the three points, is that um, Andy Carroll scores. Um, and it... It, it can only be a positive. I thought, you know, he, he worked hard. He put himself around the pitch. My one thing I want to throw to you, though, is that he, he, has Dalglish, is it going to be challenging for Dalglish to find the best way to use him? Because I thought when Carroll's out there being so dominant, you lost a little bit of Liverpool's passing. Well, I think it's just a, that's, that is the challenge. I mean, well, there's, there's quite a few challenges. Obviously, when when Gerard um, is, is is fit again, just how he how he meshes this all together. I mean, I see you know Tony Barrett uh, gave Carroll five out of ten. You know, despite obviously the, the the impact of the goal and as you say the dominance. So, and I think that I think that's a that's a fair mark. I mean, I think he you know it it, it was better um, than we've seen before and, and and obviously a bit more positive, but it, it was by you know a long way from being. You no, that's it. We've cracked it, and this is the this is the best team. I Wait, so, so you punish Cal- Carroll because you don't like the the the, the type of service he gets. No, no, but I think, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think what well, you've got, you know, you've got an issue, and you, you, you sort of brought it up in the question. Is that I remember watching him for England once when Carol, Carol was playing, and you literally did see players sort of shaping, you know, and, and obviously they're trying to play to Carol's strengths, but suddenly they were looking for these sort of 40, 50 yard passes to the head, you know, and 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 they're stewing all other options, and and so suddenly you've. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You know, you, you, you've got an issue where you're trying to play to a, a particular guy's strengths, but at potentially at the, at, at the sort of undermining other talents as, as you do it. And that's a tricky balance. And I'm not, and all I'm saying is I don't think Liverpool have quite got that right. Tony? And it's well, going to be- I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I don't think Carroll's anywhere near where he should be at the moment. I mean, his movement wasn't, wasn't good enough. He hasn't learned to use his physicality well enough. But also, I think. Oh, sorry, convention, but there, the movement point. I just had to laugh. I watched Match of the Day. Like with the the way they showed the, the, I don't know if you saw it, but they broke it down. Like, look, look at Carroll's great movement. Look, he's pointing to where he wants the ball. <laughs> like, All right, problem solved. Yeah, and you know, it's a, the, and the centre of the Liverpool midfield when you you, you play Charlie Adam and Lucas doesn't move the ball fast enough. It doesn't get it wide fast enough. So to get the best out of Carroll, you got to get to the byline and you got to pull the ball back. You know, and uh, they're not doing that. So I think it's a combination of those things. Dalglish knows it's an issue and he knows it's all down to him rather than Carol actually to, to make you know to make this work um, at, at the moment there's still a fair way away Ollie um, I, I mean it doesn't really look like something that's going to go down in um, football folklore as one of the all time great partnerships I mean you, you you look at you look at them and you think well yeah one one big one one one, one quick one one slow one which um Supposedly, um, is, uh, is is half the battle with these partnerships, but but it's 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 never like that. It's more about um, sort of intuition between the two and and the sort of understanding that they've got and uh, a partnership who you know two players who will play to each other's strengths. And I don't think they do that. And I, I could see ultimately Carroll being an option for Liverpool in certain games and and an option on the bench certainly in every game uh, that he doesn't start, rather than being the uh, absolutely ideal partner for, for Suarez and I think when he's cost 35 million then that that is an issue that is going to crop, crop up but I, I, I don't see those two being a fantastic partnership for years to come final point about some of the stuff that was thrown on the pitch I mean obviously Tony I'm going to go to you because you, you've probably been to more of these fixtures than, uh, than anybody else but um is this anything new? Is this something that the Premier League should take action over? Because I kind of get the sense, if you know, if it's a European game and the ball hits, uh, you know, a player for an English club, then you know everybody's out there on the war path. But you know, when it's a local derby, two scouse clubs, eh, you know, am I wrong in this? Well, I think uh, you know relations between the two sets of fans has deteriorated over the years. I mean, it's never been the friendly derby of mythology. I mean, I've still got a lump on my shin where someone kicked me in '82 when Rush scored, uh, when when Liverpool scored the fifth there in the enclosure. Should um, I ask you what you were doing in the Everton end? But, 
well, that's what I got a ticket for. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't see that's an issue. But you know, it, it, it's it's got more and more poisonous since um, since around ninety six, ninety five, ninety six, and um, and you could see you could see the nastiness there. I mean, I I, I do think the vast majority of Evertonians are, are fine, but you know, you you get the the, the lunatics and the the coin thrown it. That's always gone on. And plastic <laughs> bottles. I mean, you know, they're not they're not real bottles. But, but should you, the FA, the even, Premier League, yeah, take action? Yeah, I think they probably should. I think they should, you know, sort of. I think they should. Should they fine everyone? Yeah, I think they should. And they won't have enough money to pay it. They've collected all the coins <laughs> that are on the pitch to try and get transfer budgets. Yeah, oh, you've nicked my you've nicked my line. I was just about. To, I saw someone <laughs> tweeted that this morning that it's um, it's it's improved. Well, it's increased Everton's um, transfer budget by three pounds seventy six, which has effectively doubled it. Amazing. I'm glad y'all can laugh at missiles being thrown on the pitch. Moving on to our debate. Uh, Carlos Tevez, of course, was was a man in the news um, last week. If uh, unless you were um, unless you were on another planet, uh, you would have missed out on what happened when uh, Manchester City played Bayern Munich. Um, Roberto Mancini, uh, the city manager, invited Tevez to uh, come on as a substitute. Um, Tevez misunderstood, although he can't tell us why he misunderstood or how it was possible that he misunderstood, and I, I am giving Tevez the benefit of the doubt with a statement he released the following day, and as a result, Mancini got very, very angry, shouted uh, after the game and saying that he was finished at City and wouldn't be playing for them again as long as he was the manager, and uh, City have opened an investigation into into the case. Um, I, I want to... Talk specifically about Tevez, and then perhaps broaden it out to to, to, to sort of the relationships between clubs and players. But um, uh, Ollie, you were on top of the story. The, I mean, I want to start with Mancini's reaction. With hindsight, was it wrong for him to go on this on on this rant after the game? Should he just have kept his mouth shut and then maybe made the same point um, in a different way afterwards? Um, I think a lot of people applauded uh, Mancini for, for saying what he did. Um, but it's, um, I mean, one thing about Manchester City, perhaps more than any other club um, in the Premier League at least, they have this sort of very corporate approach to these things. They have a, a human resources department which would oversee, which is overseeing this investigation with the club's lawyers. It's not, it's not, um, I mean, I was speaking to somebody uh, last week, who, you know, a manager who said that he, he suspended a, a player and, and banned them from the training ground for, for two weeks and fined them and that there was no you know this, this is two or three years ago and that there was no quarrel at all from the player or from the uh, or from the club sport but City have a way of doing things which is very um, unfootball-like and very thorough and in view of that I think um, Mancini has jumped the gun because they you know they've, they've got to go through this process I don't think um, I don't think City can turn around and, and sack the guy um, and I don't think they would particularly want it so it's um, I mean I, yeah I, I, I think he was premature in what he said in, in view of the kind of um, company he works for if that, if that doesn't sound too corporate yeah if we can just establish that because sort of a lot of people you know come out and say oh they could sack him and go after you know get compensation for him the way Chelsea did with Mutu well I think people are kind of missing the point that to sack him, you have to set the compensation value at a certain figure, which in Tevez's case would be absolutely enormous. And even assuming that after a three, four year legal battle, uh, City won the case, 
the reality, even though Tevez is a very rich man, he probably does not have 50, 60 million pounds in liquid assets lying around. I mean, Muchu doesn't have the 14 million that he owes, uh, that he owes Chelsea. So, I, I mean, unless somebody strongly disagrees, I think we can knock that one um, on the head. Uh, Dicko, though, are, are you with um, are, are you with Ollie in the fact that Mancini kind of painted himself into a corner a little bit? Um, well, I mean, it's, I guess for him it's difficult. Cause he, does he know what's come out on, uh, you know, what's already emerged in public when he speaks? I mean, is it, is, it's probably, I mean, it's clearly already bleeding obvious that Jekko's thrown an almighty wobbler, uh, and probably fairly, fairly obvious that Tevez has um, refused. I mean, I guess he thinks it's already a public issue, so let's just deal with it, deal with it head on. Um, so I, I, I can totally understand where he's coming from, and I can also totally understand he'd reached the end of his tether. Um, and has decided to make you know, a decision, and, and to be honest, I can still see a way that. I mean, I think you wrote it uh, last week. I think I can still see a way that Tevez plays for the club purely out of practicality. But I think that you know the decision has clearly been made in all their minds that he must leave at the earliest practical opportunity. And Mancini was entitled to to, to say whatever he liked on that subject. Tony, you know what. If it wasn't for Keir Rabshin and Carlos Tevez's Tevez history, I'd be sympathetic to the player. You know, these things happen in football. I talked to, last week, two ex-pros who refused to go on. They've had bust-ups with the manager, and then everything settles down, he carries on. You know, it's, uh, it happens all the time. You know, it's whether you want to be a drama queen about it, whether you want to make, make a big show of it. Ultimately, this could well cost Manchester City 15 or 20 million in terms of a fee for them. You know, because who's going to pay big money? They pay forty-seven million pounds for Tevez, which uh, which Dicko broke the story, and um, and you know, and they're not going to get anywhere near like that because who's going to take a chance on them with his reputation? And it, it's driven his value down, and City will take a hit on it probably. And I think it's important to note in this too. I, I was on the radio last week with Dave Whelan, who said like, no, well, City are the one club in the world who can afford to lose money on Tevez and make an example of him, whatever else. But you know, the point is though, it's financial fair play mm. and the reality is they can't go out and simply say oh, we'll happily lose 100 million or 40 million or whatever it is on Tevez um, but because they need they want to be in the Champions League I think they probably owe it to their fans to be in the Champions League as well yeah and I think Platt was the, the sanest there last week you know and all this emotion you know sort of he wouldn't come on and you know it makes fans angry it made me angry at the time but Platt said this is not a time for you know for anger it's a time for sane heads you know and think about it the next day and that's what City should have done well I Tony talked there about how he's, he's spoken to players who've refused to come on. I mean, I, I, I certainly know of cases. I remember Benny Carbone when he was at Sheffield Wednesday and he was named to the substitutes bench by the evil Danny Wilson and he just decided to just drive to the airport and fly home. I mean, he ended up coming back and, and continuing to play and score for Sheffield Wednesday and then was sold you know, later on uh, to, to Aston Villa. And of course, the other case is, is Paul Scholes, uh, who was one of the few people who said, he, apart from Tony, said he sympathized. Uh, a little bit with uh, uh, with Carlos Tevez because he refused to play in in a League Cup game um, for Sir Alex Ferguson back in two thousand one and you know the way Sir Alex handled it then was you know he made him apologize he he he, gave, he fined him two weeks wages and then Scholes went on to have the kind of career that uh, uh, that he had at Old Trafford um, is it really that big a deal if a player refuses to come on as a substitute I think it, I think it is a big deal um, I think it's you know it's, it's a cardinal sin football wise in, 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 in certain ways but I think what we have to recognise is that 
clubs, football clubs as employers are tend to be very hypocritical and tend to apply double standards with this kind of thing. If Tevez had done this two years ago when he just arrived, when they were um, sort of very indulgent of him, uh, or even last season, I don't think they would have reacted like this. If Rubinho had done it three years ago when he first arrived, I don't think they would have um, reacted in this way. Likewise, I mean, if it had been, say, Dwight York towards the end of his Manchester United career rather than Paul Scholes back in 2001, I dare say uh, Sharks Ferguson would have reacted rather differently. But and isn't, that, that, isn't that logical and right? Because it, the, the club look out for their own best interests, right? It's, it's the real world, right? If you're important, if you're valuable, you get treated differently than if you're a nuisance and irrelevant. It is, it, you know, that is exactly right. But but when you when you consider that City are, are, are taking a very corporate, um, legal, and as they say, fair route to this, I, I, I think they have to look at precedents. What 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 did they do when Didi Haman and uh, Michael Ball refused to um, warm up uh, at Hull a couple, you know, a few years ago? And, and although they they sound like blasts from the past, City wise, that was three years ago. It was under the. Abu Dhabi regime. What what happened then? Did they get did they get fined? I don't know. They certainly didn't get sacked. So I mean, I, I have zero sympathy with Tevez. Absolutely no sympathy whatsoever. But I, I do think City have to be sensible and fair about it. I don't think they can. I don't think they can fine him six, seven, eight weeks' wages, or, or, or whatever, or try to sack him, or anything like that. When, when the, all the precedents in their history and anybody else's history suggests that um, you know that that isn't the course of action you take. The job of a manager is to manage, and Mancini didn't manage very well. You know, it's a, it should have been done behind closed doors. It should have, you know, he's got to get the best out of his squad, the best out of his players. You know, this has not helped City, and I don't think it, long term it'll help Mancini. All right, so I'm assuming nobody buys uh, Tevez's explanation that there's something else you can't talk about. And there's miscommunications. We don't have to examine that. But, Dicko, I, I, I want to throw it forward here. Um, if he does leave uh, on a permanent transfer, assuming City don't want to sell him to another Premier League club, um, I was talking to, to, to an agent the other day, and he couldn't think of anybody in Europe that would take his wages you know, plus a transfer fee of 15, 20 million. Um, do you see anybody who'd, who'd go on a limb? I mean, somebody other than well, the guy who wants Anji? PS, PSG. Um, why? Be, um, well, why, why? Well, why for him or why for them? I mean, they've got why money. For them? They're, obviously, they're obviously trying to, well, they're trying to make a big splash. Um, for the same they, reason City signed them? They, yep. they, yeah, they, they want impact. They want um, they want goals. Um, I mean, you know, and if you get him on a, you know, you get him on a reasonably um, uh, short, the short-term, well, actually, the Qatari money, they get him on, probably just take him on any type of contract. They'll be, they'll, they'll be pleased to have him. And I guess that's, that is the problem. He's been hawked around, you know, when City signed him, they were so pleased to have him that they paid stupid money as a transfer fee and stupid money as a wages, and they imbalanced the relationship from the start. And that's probably what would happen at somewhere like PSG, where he'd come in as the big star. Uh, they could have signed him over the summer if they wanted, if they if they had any interest whatsoever. In him. Yeah, but the fee the fees just dropped. As Tony quite rightly says, the fees just dropped about fifteen million. Man City were trying to hold out for 40, 40 plus um, in the summer. Now the fee now has gone down to you know they'll be they'll be happy to get twenty plus. So if I was someone like if I was someone like PSG, um, I could easily see how they'd be tempted into it. Now obviously, well, yeah. You know, so well that, that that's one for starters. 
I don't know if there's any direct flights from Malaga to Buenos Aires, though, because I know, you know, obviously that's a, because, you know, I, I, I suppose Malaga, but I mean, we're, mm. we are talking about situations like that, or I'm assuming somebody in the Gulf or, you know, a, 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 one of a, those Russian oligarch clubs. A Tevez, a Carlos Tevez Samuel Eto dream partnership at, at Angie, managed by, by Roberto Carlos. Um, but again, that's the thing. They'll, they'll go to a club that's so desperate to sign that they can get terms where, you know, it, it, if it could be a short term deal, because then the short term deal runs out and they can get him as a free agent and, and resume the whole joyful third party um, third party uh, ownership situation so it's I mean the, the, the whole thing stinks and is a, dep- is a depressing statement about where football's at and as, mm. as has been written a few times since you know after the mutiny the bounty um, because you know the, the, the winners you know in this certainly financially will be Tevez and his um, his lovely lovely handlers um, and right. doesn't, doesn't that doesn't that make you smile and Yeah, I'm really not sure that, that Tevez is going to be a winner in this. I don't think what he did was premeditated. And yeah, he will be a rich man like he was a rich man before, but he has seriously damaged um, his reputation even further. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, well, I, I, I don't disagree with that. And I'm not saying he's a winner in the sporting sense and he's going to fill his, fill his cabinet with lots of trophies. But uh, you, you've, we sort of start the asking what he does want from the game to be honest yeah, it's a fair point. we're going to end this uh, with, uh, uh, with with a little prediction about um, where uh, Carlos Tevez will be playing his football in six months time I'm going to start with you Ollie. Uh they haven't been mentioned yet but I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Real Madrid come in Ooh, alone yeah yeah uh, uh, by your mark too as somebody here suggested once before uh, Dicko no, I was. I mean, Madrid was. I was going to lob in as well and be surprised. I mean, I think. I think you'll know, have choice of Russia, Dubai, uh, Paris, Madrid. Um, so uh, you better, better off getting Kier Direction on the phone. He'll choose. Uh, Tony, West Ham, perhaps. I, mean, I think Jose's ego will lead him to think. Yeah, we'll get him over here. Wow, I'd, I'd really be shocked if, uh, if if that was to happen. Time now for what I like to call quick hits. Manchester United drop points at home to Basel in the Champions League. Then they have to huff and puff to overcome an impressive Norwich side. And they eventually win 2-0. Tony, is this a sign that some of the accolades we've been giving the champions are somewhat premature? Well, I think accolades were were overexcitable. They look wide open to me. um, And they look to have loads of flaws. But, you know what? The thing is, there'll be people like Norwich 2-0 all the time after playing badly. And, and... and struggling so you know that's what United do um, you know they'll be there or thereabouts but they're not that good and they'll be found out in Europe ah hear that uh, real simple Ollie if you were an Indian chicken magnate would you sack Steve Keen right about now uh, I think I probably would I hate to um, I hate mm. to advocate the sacking of managers but I, I, I don't see this one working out and I think if I, if I had was a Indian chicken magnate buying a football club I wouldn't decide on the basis of an agent's advice after six weeks to dump an experienced manager and put in a, 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 a coach who's never managed at the top level before I think that that was the mistake and I think um, they have to rectify this if they want to stay up my prediction is that they fly him over to India for that friendly Friday and then uh, but what he doesn't know it's a one way ticket and they just kind of leave him there Steve McLaren is no more as Nottingham Forest manager um, Dicko you're probably the biggest admirer he has out of all of us here uh, at this rate do you see him back in the Premier League ever 
Uh, the, 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 oh, by the way, this is the Barclays Premier League I'm talking about, not the Indian Premier League, since we're continuing with the uh, cricket theme there. Yes, uh, no, no, no time soon. Um, I expect he'll be back in a top division, um, quite possibly a Dutch one. Um, he did have an option to make oodles and oodles of money in um, Turkey, I think it was, this summer. So he'll be back in the top league, but I don't suspect it will be anywhere near these shores. Um, great shame, actually, because it, uh, it wasn't like they said in the brochure. Yeah, it certainly was, and you do feel kind of bad for him. Yeah, Gab, here's one for you. But Milan teams got stuffed this weekend. Who's got the bigger problems? Um, well, I actually think that uh, it's AC Milan who have the bigger problems. AC Milan, of course, lost 2-0, absolutely bit, blitzed by Juventus' side. Uh, they look possessed. I think they're looking static. I think their best players just keep getting hurt all the time. And uh, I'm starting to think that Allegri won the title through smoke and mirrors last year. Inter Milan, on the other hand, blitzed at home 3-0 by Napoli. Uh, they've got a major uh, uh, record major recommendations to make against the referee also they were missing Wesley Snyder and uh, Napoli are a very very good side that's all we've got time for this week but you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk you'll find all your news your gossip your analysis and you can also follow us on Twitter um, I'm I'm on Twitter at Marcotti Tony Europe. Uh, Tony Evans Times there you go Tony Evans Times not difficult to remember and also remember we've got a live game podcast show coming up it's a special one off Um, you're going to be there right Tony yeah I am yeah and of course I'll be there too and we'll have Patty Barkley so we'll enjoy seeing Tony cross swords with old Patty once again (laughs) we're going to arm wrestle there you go an arm wrestling extravaganza over the top oh wow wow. and and I'm sure that uh, Tom Dart will be there uh, running a little betting ring on the side (laughs) And the date of that, of course, October 27th. You can go to the Times website for more information. Uh, Again, thanks for joining us. Till next week. Bye-bye.